This is the Alcazine Brief with Peter Hofflin and Sonia Portillo. In this episode of the Alcazine Brief, we talk with Manon Rinsma. Manon is the author of a new book called 13 Diamonds, Life Before Death from a Child's Perspective. In her book, she writes about losing her mother on a very young age. It's a difficult question and one without a definite answer. How do you help a child when a family member has cancer? Especially if the family member is a parent, a father, a mother, or a sibling, a brother or sister. How do you help a child to understand a parent's illness, an illness such as cancer, especially if there is no hope for a cure? For most people, this is a very painful and personal topic, and it's hard to deal with. It's also very emotional. Some people don't want to talk about it because they simply don't understand the disease. Cancer can in some cases be terminal. This means that it cannot be cured or controlled. It's expected to lead to a person's death. By the time a patient is told that his or her cancer is terminal, he or she has probably already been dealing with it for a while and its effects on the family may even be clearly noticeable. This may be the case for many months or even years. But in other cases, a patient may find out that he or she has cancer when the disease is quite advanced. As a result, they may not have a lot of time to deal with the effects on their family. If there is time, it may be good to help a child prepare for the loss of a parent. Preparing means to give them information and support, This helps them to understand what to expect. The pain of losing a parent may be worse if a child is not prepared. It may confuse them, hurt them, and may make them angry. That important facts, explained on the level of understanding of the child's age, were not shared with them. Children truly rely on parents to bring order and security into their lives. Parents help them understand the world around them and their place in it. But no matter how long cancer has been part of a patient's life, it still can be very hard for them and her and their loved ones to think about the things that go on along with the end of life. The remaining partner may understand what this means. But what does it mean for a child to lose a parent? What are the psychosocial effects now or later in life? Especially if a parent and a child is still young. In this program, we will try to answer some common questions parents have and help patients take important steps to prepare a child to cope with death. Although it's not possible to control the reality of dying, it is possible to make a real difference in how a child can manage it and how to go on with her or his life after a parent is gone. And Menon's book is a proof of this. I'm Peter Hofland, here with Sonia Portillo, and this is The Youngest in Brief. Manon Rinsma is a well-traveled, adventurous millennial with a lot of invisible baggage. 13 Diamonds, Life Before Death from a Child's Perspective is a story about family. It's a book about hope and all the beauty that life has to offer, until the unimaginable strikes and a brain tumor the size of a tennis ball made itself at home, intruding in the happy lives of a loving family. 13 Diamonds portrays the feelings and views of a young girl who witnessed her mother, the brightest, most beautiful woman she knew, slowly die taken by this horrific form of cancer. The story Manon tells is about strength, life, death, beauty, grief, and most importantly, it is a story about love. One thing is clear. While Manon lost her mother at a very young age, she refused to become a victim of her circumstances. 
How did she do that? By helping people understand the experience of losing a parent from a 12-year-old's perspective. With her story, she hopes to give insight and support to prevent others from missing out on valuable time. Manon, welcome to the Ankazine Brief. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. You start your story with your hesitation to write for over a decade, and people encourage you to write down your experience. So why was it so difficult to start telling your story, and what ultimately inspired you to share your journey with others? I have always been very open about my story while talking to people, and I tried to write it down many times, honestly. But I knew I was making myself very vulnerable as well. I actually started writing this the day my mother passed away, 13 years ago, before she passed away. I was sitting in my room um, behind my computer, and I, I made the front page of the book, and I wrote down A Life Without a Mother. How would that be? All I did then was write down words how I felt, um, and that's before I knew that that day was going to be so crucial. I guess now I feel strong enough to, to share my story um, with the world. And I mean, it's almost like I'm exposing my diary, and that's very different than it, interacting with a few people face-to-face. But I knew once I would do this, I could help others. I could help others understand the experience of cancer in the family from a child's perspective. So you talk about writer's block. Tell us a bit about that and how you dealt with it. Oh, writing this was hard. Um, I guess my biggest mental roadblock was knowing my family was going to read it too. They've been mostly supportive, but talking to them about my book was, was difficult because it felt like they could read my diary after all these years. Now that the book is here, why did you choose to call it 13 Diamonds? 13 Diamonds, I I was 12 when my mom passed away and almost 13 years old. And my mother and I, we used to talk about me becoming a teenager at the age of 13. And she wasn't she wasn't here to, to see that happen. But her final gift to me um, was a ring, a ring with 13 diamonds that was given to me on my birthday after she passed away. And last February, it was 13 years ago since she passed away, so it's been half my life. And Life Before Death from a Child's Perspective has been the title for for many years in my head, but I thought that sounded a little bit too much like a a medical journal, and I really wanted to feel that personal touch and make it really special for her. Mm -hmm. What are you really hoping that others will gain from reading this, and who do you think can benefit the most from the book? I believe and I hope that the three most important messages of the book are it might not be too late for honesty. Um, I will never remember the last words my mom spoke to me because she she couldn't tell me what was really going on at the moment. Um, and for others, it might not be too late. They still have that time possibly to have that conversation. And uh, another thing is if you do feel lonely, let us be alone together. Uh, a lot of people might feel that they're alone in a situation like this. They don't have to be. We're not alone. Many others are in the same predicament, and I really try to initiate that conversation, even with people you might not know. Um, an initiative I'm taking myself is called Start Sharing Your Story, and I left a few pages of the book blank so people, after they read it, they can actually share their own story and maybe pass the book along to someone else. So it won't just be my story. It will be somebody else's too. 
And same on, on my website, I invite people to submit their stories. Um, maybe not as extensive as mine, but something to, to say the words to someone else who wants to listen. A last thing, actually, is don't be a victim of your circumstances because um, you are not alone. And people that are gain from the, can gain from this are, are parents, children, people in similar situation. And in a much broader perspective, everyone, really. Right. So um, you write about the fact that your mother died of uh, brain cancer. Uh, but before we're going to ask you questions about that, well, and how it affected her, can you tell a little bit more about your mother? My mother was the most beautiful human being I've ever known. Um, she honestly, she would light up the room anywhere she'd go. And she was just one of those, those moms that everybody knew and everybody loved. Let's take a break here. And then afterwards, we talk a little bit more. If you're just joining us, our guest today is Manon Rinsma. Manon is the author of a new book called 13 Diamonds, Life Before Death from a Child's Perspective. We'll be right back. This is the Young Scene Brief. Brief. And if you're just joining us, our guest today is Manon Rinsma. Manon is the author of a new book called 13 Diamonds, Life Before Death from a Child's Perspective. Manon, before the break, um, you were talking about your mom, real briefly. Um, but what about your father? And uh, how did he go? How did they meet? Oh, my, my father is a very charismatic man. Um, they met not too long after the Second World War, actually, in a very poor Rotterdam South at the time in the Netherlands. Um, Europe was still recovering, and when my father went into military service, my mother used to write him little letters, and the rest was history. They actually, um, they would have been married for almost 50 years if she was still here with us today. Oh, wow. Uh, that's a, a long, long time. That's a long time. <laughs> Something definitely to celebrate, I guess. Yeah. Definitely. So, um, in the story, in, you write about, um, I mean, very difficult things, like, as you said before the break, your mom died of brain cancer. Um, can you a little bit, tell us a little bit about this specific cancer, and tell us a little bit, if you can, um, how did that affect her? Sure, yes. It was a very malignant brain cancer. If I remember correctly, it was a grade 4 astrocytoma called glioblastoma multiforma. Um, what I noticed the most, how it affected my mom, there was, there was an emptiness in her eyes from time to time. I started to notice this, this vague look of her about a year before she, she passed away. And in certain situations, that 
that look that would come back and then I would stare at her and and wonder what is what is going on what's going on inside your head and I remember one um, moment very clearly and that's one time I spoke out to her that I was afraid of death not my own but hers and when I told her that she looked at me and she asked me but why and that wasn't about protecting me anymore. She honestly looked like she had no clue what I was talking about for a second there. And um, that really stood out to me. And that stayed with me for, for all these years. And another another big moment was she loved chocolate cookies. She just loved them. And and she really enjoyed Turkish Delight as well. And there was this moment that she, she was eating cookies and Turkish Delight. And she couldn't stop eating and even for someone who really enjoys cookies, at some point, you stop. And it was looking at her face, it just seemed like she couldn't really connect the dots of actually finishing eating the cookies. And that was a very, a very hard moment. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Yes. And so so um, let's switch gears a little bit, right? Um Families of loved ones with uh, cancer, especially when uh, there are young children involved, they need a lot of support. So how would you describe the need for the support, psychosocial support needed through this, not only the journey towards death, but the journey towards treatment or during treatment? And um, especially if you, during the treatment phase, start understanding that the disease is terminal. Um, well, there for me personally, there's really there's a need to feel involved. Um, at least that's how that's how I experienced it. To feel involved as a child, I think is the most important thing. Um, and to accomplish that, you need an open and honest line of communication. I couldn't cure my mother no. at that time, but I could have done things differently. I could have told her I loved her a little more. And I would feel differently if I really knew uh, what was going on. And in order to have that, she would have had to have a conversation with me that was very, very honest. And right. it's very difficult, but I would feel I would have felt more more involved in in the process, in a disease and in everything that was going on. Right. Uh, and so you you refer to the fact if I sense this right, that there, the communication was lacking in, in, in some way simply because of circumstances. Um, so how is it, how important is it really, and I think you alluded to that already, that children get that support? I believe this is very important, Peter. Um, when cancer becomes terminal, family members are the one that stay behind. They have to deal with psychosocial effects long after their loved one has passed away. Yeah. And what is the role? In, in this case, your mom died. Um, what about your father's role? Um, I remember reading in the book that your father um, took, to, took you to a department store to buy movies. He did bring me to the store to buy movies. Um, my father and I always have been very close, and I love him unconditionally. But I always tell him that he's a little bit of an ostrich. They like to put their head in the sand. 
And my father does not like to deal with difficult situations, so sometimes I joke to him that what he does is stick his, sen- his head in the sand. Um, I, I hope he won't be mad that I'm telling <laughs> you this, but it was, um, of course, for my dad, it was an extremely difficult time watching the love of his life slowly thrip, slip through his fingers. And I'm sure that all he wanted to do was protect me as well, which is out of love. Mm-hmm. And he he knew something as simple as watching a movie would help me take my mind off my reality at right. the time. One of the things in the book that actually um, I thought was very interesting is that you, uh, when, when it became clear that your mom would not be able to be cured, um, you write about the fact that your mom um, helped your dad to take over the household. Correct. At the time, my father and I could not run the household to save our lives. Um, I didn't even know where my mother hit the vacuum cleaner, to be honest. She was always the one running the show, but she was not going to let us starve because she started teaching my dad how to cook potatoes, hmm. which is very important when you grow up in the Netherlands. Sure it is. And I honestly, I didn't pay much attention when my mother was preparing my father, in a sense, because I still hoped she was going to live. I definitely knew the seriousness of the situation, but my parents could not say to me out loud that at that point they had given up. Right. Now, Menon, let's switch gears a bit and go back to the healthcare professionals involved in the treatment of cancer patients and the support that they provide to families. Do you believe that you received adequate support that you needed during your journey through your mother's treatment and where did you get most of this support from i have an amazing family and though they were having trouble initiating honest but necessary conversations with me that does not mean i didn't receive any support i think we found a lot of support in the love we have for each other and my godparents also played a huge role in that regard we were really all there for each other For someone who's going through something like a cancer diagnosis in their family, what are some areas that they need to focus on for their own physical and mental health? I would say take time to really talk things through. Um, I would have loved to know more about how my mother really felt. But if we step away from thinking about the patient's physical and mental health for a moment here, I wished my mother and I could have talked about hopes and dreams she may have had for me talk about things in my life that yet had to come that she was not going to be a part of, just something for me to hold on to. Okay, we're going to take a short break now, after which we'll be back with Man and Rinsma. Welcome back to the Ankazim Brief. I'm Sonny Portillo, and I'm joined by Manon Rinsma, the author of a new book called 13 Diamonds, Life Before Death from a Child's Perspective. So, Manon, earlier we were talking about some of the um, resources that people can find to find support when a, a loved one in their family is going through a cancer diagnosis. What are some of the resources or places to look for this kind of support? Where did you look, or where would do you wish you would have looked? I think the best support starts at home. Uh, by truly talking about what's going on. 
But I do realize not everybody is as blessed as I was. Growing up in a very warm, loving family, there are other places for support that might be helpful. Even in a warm home, um, I could have used someone that would have just sit us all down and somebody that would have said at that moment, hey, let's be honest for a moment. A thing that my mother found great support in was probably religion um, in the advanced stages of her cancer. Songs, poems, um, even stories that would inspire her to stay strong. But then we're talking about the patient again. So I would I would have loved to see how there was more for the family at that point as well. Mm-hmm. And you've, I mean, you've kind of mentioned this throughout, but for closing our interview, how do you think support for patients, families, and loved ones could really be improved in the future? So when you ask me this question, the first thing I think about um, is honestly all the doors that closed in my face when my mother was sick. My bedroom door, when adults discuss the situation at home. Um, The front door, when I stayed home, when my mother had serious appointments. Or even hospital doors that kept closing for me when I did make it to the hospital, but conversations were still not meant for me to hear. So when you look at um, the way other family members responded, um, maybe they tried to protect you. Um, Maybe they were trying to take you away, maybe suggesting, okay, well, to your dad, well, give her to us for a while. Um, Or basically shield you from a lot of things. Correct. How um, is is that in, in your case? Was that a good thing for you? Or was that something that really um, made you more vulnerable or sad or um, not knowing how to deal with that at that moment because you wanted to be maybe with your dad? I did want to be with my parents in difficult situations, but, of course, I love my family, right. all of them, for how they all tried to protect me, for being exposed too much to the cancer and everything on that journey from the surgery to radiation therapy to watching my mother lose her hair again after surgery while she it just grew back a little bit. You know, these are all they're very hard moments that you witness. But um, I really I really think that my family, they did the best they could. And I don't want to tell that they did anything wrong, but I would have hoped that they would have let me in a little bit more in everything we could have experienced together. So I wouldn't have felt like I was missing out on on valuable time mm-hmm. later. So what do you think, now that you've explained that, where do you really think the improvement can come in? For me, a big improvement would have been if I would have understood the cancer more from the start. Uh, maybe a doctor could have guided me through the process a little bit more mm-hmm. in a way that me as a child, as a 12-year-old, would, would understand what was going on. Um, the surgery, for example, I had no clue what was going on. I knew uh, how my mother would tell me she was going to get better. That was the explanation of the surgery she gave me. But it just it just blew my mind because... What was going to happen to her head? 
Because what I knew, the information I had was there's a tennis ball size tumor in somewhere in her brain. And as a child, I thought, how is that even possible? Because that's a big thing mm-hmm. that is in there somewhere. How is there even room for that? And thinking about the surgery, the doctor was going to take it out. But to take it out, to have to go in. So the image, the, the image that I sketched for myself in my head, I saw Frankenstein. I saw mm-hmm. somebody going in my mother's head and sewing it back together after taking the tumor out. And I was terrified going into the ICU after on that day of, of surgery because I didn't know what to expect. And, of course, my father tried to he tried to explain it was all going to be okay. But with Frankenstein still in mind, I thought, is she even, like, will her face still be okay? You know, is she going to be my mother once I walk through those doors? Mm-hmm. Is she going to be the person I know and, and love? Thank you so much for speaking to us, Manon. You're welcome. Really happy to be here. 13 Diamonds Life Before Death from a Child's Perspective is currently available on Amazon and Kindle Unlimited. You can also go to manonrisma.com to learn more, and that's spelled M-A-N-O-N-R-I-N-S-M-A.com. After losing a husband or wife, a parent may worry a great deal about how their grief will affect his or her child. They worry about children seeing them emotionally out of control and whether the children will be damaged by their own intense feelings of loss. And children look to the remaining parent for cues on how to react to the world and the events that shape their lives. Seeing the raw grief of a remaining parent will not damage them as long as the child's security needs are being met. There is nothing wrong with crying or other expressions of intense feelings after a loved one's death, even if it's a father, a mother, a brother, or sister. Grief is a normal expression of how people feel when they lose someone important to them. Witnessing these feelings give a child's permission to express their own emotions. But if the remaining family members try too hard to hide their feelings, it may be hard for the child to be open about their own feelings. On the other hand, unchecked hysteria can frighten a child. But genuine feelings of sadness, tears and anger are normal reactions for all who grieve. The grieving process often starts before the actual death. It may start when it becomes clear that there is no hope for a cure. And this may make someone angry, especially if it turns their world upside down, such as in the case of a loved one who is dying. They may even be angry with the person who was sick and died, which can lead to feelings of guilt. Anger is a normal reaction to an unexpected loss. It seems unfair that a parent should die before their children are grown. Understanding are also feelings of rage and desperation. These feelings are quite normal. Surviving parents should not feel that they must totally avoid the grieving process. It's okay to say to your child that it makes them angry, what is happening. It also gives a child permission to express their anger that their mom or dad is no longer with them. Very young children may not be able to talk about being angry, but may act out. Most of the time, the remaining parent may understand how his or her children may act when stressed. 
And he or she should be aware that a child who is misbehaving might be doing so because there is no other way to express their anger and confusion about the loss of their mom or dad. If you are a parent and you've lost your husband or wife, invite the child to tell you what's behind their behavior. Ask them, are you feeling sad or angry that this is happening? Tell them how you feel. Tell them that you understand that losing a mom or dad hurts. Tell them that you feel some of those same feelings. But above all, reassure a child, especially a young child, that their parent did not want to get sick and leave them. Help them understand that mom or dad had no control over getting cancer. While this may seem obvious to an adult, to kids, parents are often all-powerful and should be able to prevent bad things from happening. And we're going to take a quick break now. This is the Onkis in Brief. Dealing with the loss of a parent may be easier for a child when the relationship with a deceased parent was a good one. In this case, it will be easier for them to resolve the loss. If the relationship was a troubled one, a child may have harder, a harder time dealing with their loss. This may be because of the result of unresolved issues. Keep in mind that the loss of a parent will affect every child in a family differently. And the remaining parent and loved ones may have to consider those differences when trying to meet a child's need. In some cases, relatives offer to take care of the child in a period right after a parent has died. While this may offer, may be very tempting for the remaining parent, it is not always a good idea. If a child is still young, this may add to the child's fears of abandonment. A child may benefit from seeing the surviving parent's express, uh, expressions of grief. It may be a model for how to grieve. If a child is still young, try to keep as many things the same for the child as you can. For instance, for very young children who have lost their mother, it's better to have someone come home to take care of them than go to somewhere else. And this should help a child not to feel abandoned. Children also worry that something bad may happen to their, off, to their other parent. So it's best to keep children in a place they feel most secure. If the child is a teenager, they're probably old enough to know that their lives are greatly changing due to the parent's illness and, and death. They will no doubt struggle with the loss. And they may cope in a way that are hard for parents to understand, such as, for example, refusing to talk about the illness or trying to take control. Others may adapt by trying to get closer to the remaining parent or trying to restore order in the household. 
The interview you've just heard with Manon Rinsma, author of a new book called 13 Diamonds, Life Before Death from a Child's Perspective, was originally recorded on March 7, 2018. For us here at the Oncuzine Brief, we want to thank you, our listeners and underwriters, for your ongoing support. Thanks to your support, our program now has a wider reach. Our program can be heard in Arizona on KFNX, one of the top 10 radio stations in Arizona, reaching almost 5 million people throughout the state. You can also hear us via iHeartRadio in addition to PRX Public Radio Exchange. You can also download our program via iTunes. Later this month, UK Health Radio will also start broadcasting our program in the United Kingdom and mainland Europe. We know that based on this interview, you may have questions. So please submit your questions to our editorial team via email, Facebook, or Twitter. And we will post as many answers as we can on our website, oncozine.com. That is O-N-C-O-Z-I-N-E dot com. Thank you all. And thank you for listening. And join us again for our next episode. I'm Peter Hofland here at Sonia Portillo. And this is the Oncozine Brief. The Oncozine Brief is produced for Sun Valley Communication by Peter Hofland, Sonia Portillo, Evan Wint, David Kaler, and Sean Mayer, and distributed by InPress Media Group. Support for the Oncozine Brief comes from listeners of this station and our commercial underwriters and advertisers. For more information about underwriting and sponsoring options, contact Sean Mayer in California at 949-923-1660 or visit our website at oncozine.com forward slash underwriting. The Oncozine Brief contains health and medicine-related information and is provided for educational and entertainment purposes only. The content is not intended as a substitute for professional medical or health advice and does not replace your doctor's advice. Your doctor is the best person to answer questions about your personal health. If you hear something in this program that doesn't agree with what your doctor has told you, ask him or her about it. The Oncocene Brief is in part made possible by generous support from Kite Rocket. Kite Rocket, making brands more valuable. For more information about public relation beyond classic PR support, contact Martin Pirick at Kite Rocket in Phoenix at 602-443-0030 or visit their website at kiterocket.com and by Aquatherapy Clinics. Aquatherapy Clinics offering an alternative form of pain management and stress relief for everyone, from young athletes to active seniors. For more information about the future in rehabilitation and pain management, from sports injuries, neurological conditions, and musculoskeletal disorders, contact David Grywall at Aqua Therapy Clinics in Gilbert, Arizona at 480-773-7766 or visit aquatherapyclinics.com.